Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rocket Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kylie. This is before the box score. We have so much to talk about. We have so much to talk about. I. It's unbelievable how we spent over an hour two weeks ago trying to cover all of our bases. We're like, all right, we'll see what happens over the next two weeks. And uh, in the next two weeks, everything happened. So, uh, BK, how you doing, man? I'm doing wonderful. Uh, Mizzou football is keeping us out of the evergreen topic season, which I'm always appreciative of. <laughs> <laughs> that is nice. That is nice to actually talk about, you know, real football, real things happening. Um, well, I mean, let's just let's just t- let's get into it because we last came at you guys. What was that? The, the I don't know, 16th? No, it was the 9th. It was the 9th. We were talking on the 9th. And I think. I literally the next day, uh, the slew of recruitment started coming in. And, uh, the first, the first big thing that came in was a transfer actually from the FCS level. Uh, Mr. Connor Wood, a former offensive tackle, former offensive tackle now from Montana state, current Missouri tiger offensive tackle. Uh, the big thing with Connor is that he is an upperclassman. He did not play last year because Montana state did not have a season, but he wasn't FCS all American. And he has been starting uh, for the Bobcats since a freshman. And we knew kind of as the season went on that Eli Drinkwitz is going to be looking to add depth to the offensive line. And BK, you can do a lot worse than an FCS All-American plugging in the hole, don't you think? Yeah, and this is something that Eli Drinkwitz has done a really great job of overall in this offseason is the places where you felt like maybe they lost a little bit in terms of numbers, he's added quality. And I think that's super important because – um, th- this team needed some guys that could come in right away on the offensive line. And at a minimum, I don't know what Connor Wood's going to look like at this level. I really don't. He might be great or he might struggle a little bit translating to a different level of competition. Regardless of where he's at right now in his development path for the SEC, he's somebody that I feel comfortable with as a swing tackle backup offensive lineman. You know, if that's where he's at in his development curve right now, that's something that this team desperately could use. So it's huge that they were able to add somebody like this, this late into the process. Hiron White will be playing at some, well, hopefully will be playing this year, but he was out all last year. We don't know what he's going to be. Maybe it takes some time for him to get back up to snuff, right? Maybe he, you know, is not a little bit of the the giddy up is off. You know, we don't know. So when you're thinking about tackle, especially trying to replace an NFL level tackle, it's nice to have a lot of options. And it's nice to have a lot of experience and talent options to fill that gap. So the experience is there no matter what. Obviously, Connor Wood brings a little bit of pedigree as an FCS All-American. That's always a good thing. Um, But you need more bodies there. And that's exactly what Connor Wood's going to provide. We're not saying he's going to be Larry Borum. There's only one Larry Borum out there, and he's currently in the NFL. It's just if Hiron White doesn't work out for whatever reason, you've got a Connor Wood who can come in uh, because you really can't expect a freshman offensive lineman to start. That's an incredible rare thing to see. I think so far only Elvis Fisher and Evan Bame have done it, and they were they were special. Now I'm not saying Connor Wood isn't special. I'm not saying any of the freshmen aren't special, but like it's rare is is my point. So it's nice to have that depth there. Um, and just kind of create some competition. You know, if, 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 uh, Javon Foster and Hiron White, you know, they're already see, obviously we're going to be gunning for that right tackle spot. Now we add Connor Wood in the mix. 
whoever wins that starting position uh, for right tackle or, or left tackle or wherever they decide to put him, you got to just feel like, okay, this guy, he certainly earned it. You know what I mean? For sure. I mean, you go into camp and it's never bad to have competition. The other thing is now you have a plan, right? Like beyond the 2021 season, coaches can never just think about what it's going to look like this year. It's also, what does it look like beyond 2021? And right now, if you look at what it looks like for Mizzou at offensive tackle in particular beyond this season, it's a little jarring. I mean, you've got Connor Tolleson, who we were both big fans of going into uh, coming out of last offseason. But if Foster is not up to snuff this year, and now you're looking at the other options, uh, hopefully Jamarian Gooch is ready to go immediately. I mean, there weren't a whole lot of options is basically what I'm saying at offensive tackle. And so this allows you to have kind of a backup plan. This is your, if all else fails, break glass in case of emergency. We've got a guy that we feel pretty comfortable with that can play at a minimum at the D1 level. And that's that's what he brings to the table for him. So we'll see. I mean, obviously, Wood might start day one. Um, maybe he just he's a backup as he gets acclimated to the SEC. We don't know. But you got a plan and you got depth. So that's that's excellent for, for the offensive line. By the way, Nate, if we learned anything last year, it was that you're going to really need offensive line depth. <laughs> you're, you don't go into the season with two tackles and feel like those guys are going to start every game for you. It doesn't work that way in the SEC. Exactly. Even from a from a drive-to-drive standpoint, certainly from a game-to-game standpoint, you need that depth. You're absolutely right. Now, we're not going to have COVID. Well, fingers crossed, we're not going to have COVID levels of attrition, but you do need that kind of at any D one level uh, of football. So it's good to have it. Glad we have it. Can't wait to see who wins when once we get into fall ball, then the next domino fell. And this is the one that we're all geeked up about. We had, you and I have been talking about it on the show. We've obviously been talking about it on the website a lot. Rumors were swirling around, but Caleb Evans, the cornerback from Tulsa committed I think it was the next day. <laughs> um, and and that was big news, obviously. I mean, he was a two-star recruit coming out of high school, but that's not the point because the point was is that at Tulsa, he was awesome. And he's a legit NFL prospect. And he decided to come to Mizzou and finish out his career with his old position coach, Aaron Fletcher. We just hired Fletch um, in the past offseason back in January. So he's reuniting with his old coach. And so then the rumors started swirling. Oh, well, hey, are we going to get Allie Green the fourth? He's on the market too. You know, could we possibly get him? And like the next week, wouldn't you know it, Allie Green the fourth commits to Missouri. We get the Tulsa tandem at cornerback coming to Mizzou. Now for Allie Green, I think we only really beat out Texas Tech for his services. But for Caleb Evans, he was talking to Texas. He was talking to Notre Dame. He was talking to the schools that Missouri usually loses recruits out to. And Missouri got him on board. So not only was it a big win on the recruiting trail, picking this kid out of the the, the transfer portal, but it was also a big boon for the secondary. Now, obviously, we're not going to be replacing Josh Bledsoe or Tyree Gillespie with anybody that's going to be super awesome right out the gate. But cornerback was one of the biggest glaring weaknesses on this roster and drink was just filled it with maybe the best options on the market that you could get. BK, we're excited. What's your level of excitement about these two guys? 
I mean, 35 out of 10. It's it's through the moon, man. Um, I will just go ahead and say this, and this is a different show for a different day. Not so sure. I think one of these guys could potentially replace some of the production that you're going to be missing out of Joshua Bledsoe. And what I mean by that is basically, you now have three reliable corners. So instead of playing three, maybe even sometimes four safeties on the field, now you can actually play a true nickel. Um, And so there's some benefits to that that will... You're not replacing it one-to-one. It's a little different in terms of the position that he's going to play, but some of the production, some of the things that you saw from Joshua Bledsoe last year playing out of the slot, it's possible, whether it be one of the two Tulsa corners or Ennis Rakestraw, you'll get some of that production from one of those corners this year instead of a safety. I digress. We'll talk about that at a later date. Something about this uh, commitment that really stood out to me for Green in particular, because of Caleb Evans it seems like the biggest thing for him was coming back to play for Coach Fletch. And we talked so much about how important it was that they hired Fletcher in the offseason. He's the new cornerbacks coach for Mizzou. He was previously at Tulsa. He obviously has a long history with both of these guys. But Evans told Power Mizzou, and I think this is a really significant quote, I felt that they had a lot of love in their program, and he said that it wasn't just Fletcher and Evans um, uh, that won green over. Said I felt like they had a lot of love in their program. They also have a lot of coaches that look like me. That last quote, that last line, they also have a lot of coaches that look like me. Nate, we've talked about this before. And we talked about how important it is that Mizzou has a lot of coaches that look like the players. That look like the guys that they are coaching on a day-to-day basis. That is important. And when you hear it said from one of the guys that has played at this level before... It's important because guys care about it and it matters having diversity, having whether that be diversity of thought, diversity of uh, backgrounds, diversity of uh, whatever it may be. Those things are important in a coaching staff and Mizzou has it right now. And Eli Drinkwitz is the reason why they have it. And so I just wanted to bring that up real quickly because I think it's such a significant piece to the commitment from Allie Green the fourth. And he, in in some people's minds, is actually the better player out of him and Evans. So I I think that that was such a big hit for Mizzou. And now I will go ahead and ask you this question, Nate. I was writing a piece about Mizzou's corners. This is the best Mizzou cornerback trio since when? Since EJ Gaines and Randy Ponder, 13. And this should be better than them. It should be, yeah. Like it, it, we don't know if it will be. There, there is. They've got to go prove it out on the field. They did it at Tulsa, but you've got to be able to do it at Mizzou, and that's a different test. No doubt about it. I think you're probably right. That was the only one that I could think of. Um, EJ Gaines is the only Mizzou cornerback to hear his name announced during the NFL draft in the last 30 years. Both of these guys, Evans and Green, are expecting to hear their names called during next year's draft. It could be the first time that Mizzou has multiple corners selected in more than 30 years. So this is not just like a, a big get for Mizzou now. It's also a big get because it could be the most talented and most productive cornerback duo that they've had in a generation. That's crazy. Before Gaines and Ponder, and I think Arion Penton rotated in there too. Um, before those two, it was Carl Geddes and Kevin Rutland in 2010. And they were fine. I think Carl was was uh, a lot more talented than Kevin, but Kevin just had a ton of experience um, and was really good at closing. He wasn't good at much much else, but he could really close. Um, and that was one of those things that really drove that 2010 
defense was was pretty sticky tight coverage. So even take it further. When, when's the last time we've had three corners like this? I mean, you we're all thinking. I know Missouri fans are. I don't know what NFL people think, especially after one year that's probably inconclusive. But Enos Rakestraw, based off of recruiting people, you know, maybe he's an NFL corner too. Yeah. Maybe not like right now as far as quality, but like in the future. And so if we go back and we look back and we said, man, back in 2020, 2021, we had Allie Green, Caleb Evans, and Enos Rakestraw. How did anybody ever throw on us? Like that's, you, you can see a world where we have that kind of conversation. And, and, and you're right. I mean, God, last year we did, we did the draft, the, the all Missouri player draft. Yep. I, I thought back to that so many times when thinking about this, because it, it was easily the thinnest position. Easily. It was so hard to pick two that you really wanted. <laughs> You're <laughs> like, man, it, it makes you realize that we've just been really thin on talent. Like all talented guys, just not, you know, just not the, the kind of elite talent that, that schools like Ohio state or Alabama, or even a Texas, a TCU of Florida, um, that they can, they can get, you know, Oklahoma state gets great corners every three years. Why not Missouri? You know? Mm -hmm. Um, and this, this is that, that these guys, Evans and green are those guys and probably rake straw in a couple of years too. And, and that's, that's huge. I I can't wait to see what, what, what a tiger defense with competent NFL level corners all on the field at the same time, what that's going to look like. Um, but it's, yeah, it's just one of those things. It's, it's talking about lifting, elevating the program. Where were you when, when Drinkwood started, where are you now? Even just after two years of recruiting, he has elevated the pedigree. He has elevated the the prestige of this program and he's doing it by position. He's getting the quarterbacks. He's getting the defensive linemen and he's getting the corners. And when you talk to NFL draft guys, especially the, the people that go in the first round, what, what goes first? People who throw the ball, quarterbacks, people who catch the ball, receivers, and people who stop passing the ball, which is defensive linemen right. and cornerbacks. Well, think about the biggest additions this offseason, right? They're, they're all at those positions for like Clemson all of them. is an elite recruiter, but they are really picky. Like, they're not going to take every five-star that just falls off the tree. But what they do is they they focus on those four positions quarterback receiver cornerback and defensive line Clemson players that go in the NFL are those four positions because that's what they value the most they've had the same linebackers yeah. for the last 20 yeah. years you yeah. can't convince it, it me just, otherwise <laughs> and they don't big, go in the slow NFL white draft, guys a linebacker and then a <laughs> bunch of dumpy white dudes on the offensive line like they don't recruit elite offensive line or elite linebackers because they know they don't need to they don't need to. So if you if you have to recruit really, really well, and if you have to get blue chippers, get them there. And then fill out everything else with like your high level three stars or your project two stars um, at the other positions. Because throwing the ball is the most efficient way to move the ball and score points in the modern NFL game. And stopping that is the best thing you can do on defense. And for a long time, D-line zoom, Missouri's been able to do stop the pass via pass rush. We've never had the shutdown corner that was so reliable outside of EJ Gaines. And so here we are. We're not, I'm not saying we're DBU, but these could, you know, 20 years from now, you could say these two were the start of that. The other thing is Mizzou is selling defensively NFL potential, right? And the best way to do that is to prove that you can get guys to the next level. So if Evans and Green come in and they play, they ball out this year. They, they play really well for Mizzou the way that we all expect them to. They play the way that they did last year. 
when Tulsa allowed 6.1 yards per pass attempt and 190 passing yards per game, both of which ranked top 20 nationally. That's pretty damn good. Um, If they can do that this year with Mizzou and they both get selected top four rounds in the NFL draft, well, now your coaching staff, which is comprised of guys that both played in the NFL and or coached in the NFL, basically, those guys can now go on the recruiting trail and sell not just a message, not just an idea of what this program's going to be, but a realized potential, the production of what their program can do. They can go show these parents, these kids, hey, look, we took a Caleb Evans and Allie Green the fourth. And they came into our program for one year, and the following year they went in the top 120 picks in the NFL draft. They're guaranteed a million dollars. That's what we want to do for you. That's what we can do if you come to Mizzou. That is a hell of a sales pitch that they could give because right now they don't have that at the cornerback position in particular. They could after this year. So we'll see what they're going to do. Uh, Steve Wilkes has got two very, very reliable corners to play with. You know, Obviously outside of injuries or whatever – craziness that could happen they stay healthy they stay on the field in theory we should have an excellent cornerback rotation like you said maybe it takes in for the third safety maybe the nickel is enos Raystraw. i don't know we'll find out but the potential's there and that that just makes everybody very very happy can i add Absolutely. one more thing on this real quickly Absolutely. before we move on nate the last thing that i will say if mizzou fans have not watched any of the highlights from evans and green one thing that i can tell you you are going to love watching these guys. They are physical, and they are not afraid to help out in the running game. And so often, you will have these corners that are out there on the islands, and you'll see a running back kind of get the pitch, and he'll be running straight at a corner, and the corner dives at the ankles, misses <laughs> atrociously, and then he's going scampering on for another 15, 20 yards. That is not Greener Evans. They are not afraid to come up and lay a big-time hit. And so I, I think Mizzou fans are going to really fall in love with these guys pretty quickly. And they, they seem do. to have great personalities, in particular Green. That dude's great on social media. So I think Mizzou fans are going to fall in love and, pretty quickly. Yeah, then we'll move on. I've just been so impressed with their transition speed, mostly in their hips. Like if you watch yeah, if you watch some of the tape that they did on their 7-on-7s seven seven or even in their games, like there is no drop-off in speed when they when they flip from backing up to chasing. and that's so that's so key. That like when you ever listen to you whenever you listen to Nick Saban talk about planes the secondary, he talks about loose hips and transition speed. And that's what he's always working with his with his secondary to get better at and improve on and be, you know, just technicians of. And Green and Evans do that really, really, really well. Um I, I mean, again, I'm not I'm not a football coach. I'm no, I'm not a professional. I don't know what the hell I'm looking at. I just know it's to me, it stood out and that's just like, Ooh, that's very exciting. <laughs> so yeah, we got that for the, for the 2021 team. That's very excited to have them on board. I can't wait to see what they can do on the recruiting trail still, but looking more towards the future. Not only did Drinkwitz lock up green and Evans for this year, he also did a little flippy flip on a blue chip cornerback for the 2022 class, Marcus Scott, the second formerly an LSU commit, uh, the 32nd best cornerback in the nation, the 44th best player in the state of Texas out of Conroe, 6'2", 160, 6'2". How tall is he though? How tall? 6'2", 168. <laughs> like that's a, that's knock overweight, but man, he can, he can grow into it. Um, it's 5.8, four star. According to rivals, he committed on the 13th. 
my God. <laughs> so we've got Evans and Green and Rakestraw for this year. Evans and Green, if everything goes well, they'll be gone. And then next year, as long as everything goes well, then it'll be Enos Rakestraw and Marcus Scott um, at corner. And I know the LSU bros are going to say, well, you know, uh, Scott took an official to LSU and Ed O saw him like, oh, we don't want this trash. And so he didn't really flip. He just said, no, you're not offered. Uh, whatever. I don't care. <laughs> we got this kid. We stole him from LSU. I don't care what you say. And uh, it's another blue chipper to add into the pile. That's the fourth. Uh, yeah, the fourth for the 2022 class. And we are in June 23rd. So again, man, how do you feel about this this Marcus, Marcus Scott commitment? Huge. I mean, huge. I, again, I, like you said, I don't care what the reason was that he flipped from LSU to Mizzou. He flipped from LSU to Mizzou. Like this doesn't happen very often. Mizzou already has four, four stars in this class. They had five in last year's class. You mentioned the corners that'll be in the rotation potentially in 2022. Don't forget about Dalen Carnell, the four star from last year. Don't forget about some of those guys that are kind of under the radar, unheralded guys like Zaquan Reeves from last year's class as well. You've got a lot of talent that's being added to a group that was really devoid of talent a year, two years, three years ago. This is the way that you built it up. You started out with the transfers, then you filter through to give these time these guys a little bit of time. Dalen Carnell might have started, if not for getting these two um these two transfers in into the program this year. Now he's gonna be at best your number four cornerback. This is not a shot against Dalen Carnell. I hope everybody that knows or that listens to the program knows how big of a fan I am of his. He shouldn't be starting for you as a freshman. Very few freshmen, especially at cornerback, should be starting for you. For him to be able to get this year to buy some time, that's the biggest thing that they were able to do with this. And now you continue to add that depth to the roster and you're going to add more and more competition just like we talked about on the offensive line, that can only be a good thing for the cornerback position moving Absolutely. forward. This is huge. Again, lifting the profile of the program, creating a higher prestige level for recruits to look at Mizzou. You said it before in your pieces, make it cool to come to Mizzou. Make it a place, a destination that kids are excited to go to. Not settling, excited to go to. Um, and this this just continues that it just continues that process and uh from texas and from texas third guy only the third guy that eli drinkwitz has yeah. pulled out of the state of texas so not insignificant that he's he's getting back into that pipeline as the, well the the texas boys on the roster have kind of been <laughs> getting a little slim uh, as of late currently only 14 <laughs> scholarship players from texas as opposed to 17 from missouri it's still the second most uh players we have from any state but it's just we've lost a lot of guys from there and and so knowing that Drinkwitz is still looking there, even with the departure of David Gibbs, who's a big Texas recruiter, even with him gone, uh, replacing him with Fletch, who, you know, was a Texas kid, played there, grew up there, coached at Tulsa, which is basically Texas North, <laughs> Talis's hat. Um, so it's it's good to know that we still got guys coming in there. That, that is absolutely awesome. Um, so yeah, well, <laughs> it's it's been quiet, if I can say that. Um, you know, when you have these these lulls and then you get within a week, you know, like eight guys come in and you're like, Oh my God. Awesome. And then, you know, then it gets quiet again. You're like, Oh, well, what next? <laughs> um, but what is next actually is happening today or happened today. I guess as you're listening to it happened yesterday, June 23rd, 
Um, Missouri had their 23 on the 23rd night at the zoo, right? Because the class of 23, June 23rd. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was basically night at the zoo part duh. And they had a bunch of kids there who are going to be part of the class of 2023. So these are juniors or rising juniors. They're, they're committing 18 months from now, basically, is, is what is the, what the point is. Um, just to get some younger faces in there. Now, some of these guys were at uh, Night at the Zoo Part 1 a couple weeks ago. So there were some repeats. But a good chunk of these 2023 20, guys aren't rated. Um, but the big names that are rated... We're talking about uh, like a Chandavian Bradley. Um, let's see here. Like a Marvin Burks, Christian Gray, Carnell Tate, uh, Malik Elzey. Like big names. My favorite, Logan Reichert. Do you know anything about Logan Reichert, BK? That he's dude, huge. Like really, Raytown really kid. huge. Again, he's like 17, if that. He's 6'7", 380. 6'7", <laughs> 380. He's a, he's a Jamarian Gooch plus 10 pounds. Um, it's... It's insanity, but uh, he is he is a very sought after product. I think he is basically got offers from everybody. But point is, he's huge and he's God. mean. If you remember when we talked yeah. about Connor Tolleson's tape, that's that's kind yeah. of what Logan Riker. And I think his like. parents were Mizzou grads, if I remember correctly. Um, now mm. his dad is really really good friends with a Georgia coach, so there's kind of a relationship there. But uh, both of his parents are are Mizzou grads, if I think, or at least one of them is. So he, there is a Missouri tie and there's a Georgia tie is the point. Um, but the major, the big overall point on all of this is that they had a bunch of these kids on campus, just like night at the zoo part one. It's get your high profile, big target guys all in the field, all at the school, all at the same time, have them talking to each other, have them think big dreams about what they can do if they all commit to Mizzou. And then if you're lucky, you get about 40% of them roughly. Uh, but you hope that you get your highest ranked targets on your, on your recruiting board. And um, I don't expect, I don't think anybody's really expecting any kind of commitments coming out of this. Probably some more offers, you know, maybe some, just some increased interest, but um, yeah, Drinkwitz and his staff are doing their thing. And uh, I can't wait to hear anything that comes out of uh, what the kids have to say. Yeah, I know earlier today, uh, we're recording this on Wednesday night, just in full disclosure, there was at least one uh, running back that I saw that got an offer out of this. Um, I think that, if, if I'm not mistaken, a lot of the times what they do at things like this, some of the guys that maybe they had some questions about, they'll confirm size, speed, height, weight, all, all that stuff. And that plays into the decision as to whether or not to offer a guy. So some of these, these players will get offers out of that so I think that that's something that comes out of it the other thing is you mentioned how I always say you got to make it cool to come to Mizzou well one way to do that is by making sure that these great players four-star talents are at Mizzou on campus with other four-star talents of similar age and I think that goes a long way for some of these guys in the past I remember when Night at the Zoo first started it was kind of like hey anybody that wants to come can come and so it'd be like you, me, and our <laughs> Uncle Joe would be chilling out there playing like during the seven-on-seven seven tournament or whatever. And there, there's value in that for sure because then maybe you find players that you wouldn't have otherwise. But I do think there's more value for the recruiting that Eli Drinkwitz is trying to do in this style of it. I think it's I think it's a lot of fun. It makes a lot of sense. 
you get a little bit of a workout if you need it, but you just, you start planting those seeds. Those seeds start talking to each other and then they bloom into Missouri football players. And uh, like I said, the crop's going to be, now if you're lucky, probably about 40% of them, but it's better than they're not getting any. And I think it makes a lot of sense to do it this way, especially when you get to hand out a drinks house. Come on. Like, that's awesome. I wish I was huh. in high school so I could be a football recruit again and go play, you know, foosball in his backyard. Like that, that's awesome. Again, were you a big time football recruit that I was unaware so, of? I only took one visit. It was my freshman year. I so that was Gary Pinkle. This is two thousand one. Um, so I got to go on the tour with a bunch of my other teammates. Um, it was nice. It was a lot of fun. Got to see practice. That was back when Kirk Farmer was quarterback. Yeah, so oh, I got nice. to sit in on the quarterback room. There was a young Brad Smith who was red shirting, who I had no idea who he was at the time. No one did. Uh, but I sat behind sure. him in the quarterback meeting and, and got to listen to Kirk Farmer talk and uh, David Yost talk. And he had the hair even back then. Walked into uh, Pinkle's office. I remember it was mahogany. There's a giant desk. And that was 2001. So, like, you know, I'm sure it's developed since then. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> I don't you know think, that it developed think all that a mahogany guy? Oh, I was talking oh. about for Pinkle. Like, by the time Pinkle left, I you would imagine what? it looked yeah, pretty similar. Probably right. We do what we do, right? You know, <laughs> mahogany is what we do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would, I would love to, to get that off that opportunity. And Hey, I don't know. Hey coach, if you listen to this, can I come hang out at your house, please? Uh, hit me up in my DMS. <clears throat> but, uh, Oh, along those lines. And this is to me, this is a nothing burger, but I will share it with you all because that's what we do. We talk about recruiting. Um, once Luther burden started playing for East St. Louis, the new number one recruit in the state of Missouri was Kevin Coleman. Athlete, wide receiver, uh, but he is the number one recruit in the country in the, in the country in the state of Missouri. Uh, Six point one five star. It wouldn't be the first uh, time Mizzou has offer has uh, interest from the number one recruit or one yeah, number one athlete. I know we've done it once. Uh, but but young little Kevin Coleman is 5'11", 170, wide receiver out of uh, St. Mary's in St. Louis, and um, apparently he is taking an unofficial visit to Mizzou. Uh, Thursday, I think. I think it's Thursday. So tomorrow or whenever you're listening to this. Um, it's unofficial. He was already going to be in town for some seven on seven tournament. But you, you St. Louis people know. You Missouri people probably know. St. Louis is a bunch of tiny small towns that stick to, their, stick to themselves. But everybody talks. It's like a gigantic sewing circle. And, and so Kevin Coleman knows... Tyler Macon. He knows Mookie Cooper. He knows Dom Lovett. Like he, he knows these guys. And obviously, obviously the Missouri coaching staff has been recruiting him for quite some time. So he's familiar with the staff. So he decided to take an unofficial to Columbia because he's going to be in town anyway, probably play catch with Tyler and Mookie and Dominic. And who knows, probably talk to coach Hamden, probably coach talk to coach drink. And it's, it's an unofficial, but he's only visited only one other school so far in Florida state. So BK, something, nothing, interesting tidbit. What do you think? Uh, something. Definitely not nothing at all. Um, I don't think it's a huge thing. It certainly does not guarantee that he's going to end up at Mizzou by any stretch of the imagination. But kids don't typically just take a courtesy visit for no reason whatsoever. There's probably some modicum of interest from Kevin Coleman and what it would be like to play with maybe Luther Burden if he decides to flip his commitment from Oklahoma or Mookie Cooper. 
Tyler Hibbler, whoever it may be. There's, I, I would imagine there's some something in the back of his mind that's like, man, that'd be pretty cool to be able to play with some of the guys that I grew up with and that I'm friends with. That being said, it's certainly a tall hill to climb when you're looking at the other offers that Kevin Coleman has in like the number one place that people think he's going to go right now is Alabama. Okay. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that's just, it, it's a steep hill for me to believe that Kevin Coleman and Luther Burden are both in the same class going to choose Mizzou over Alabama. If they do, I mean, you're never going to hear me say anything <laughs> bad about Eli Drinkwitz's recruiting ever again. Uh, not that I have, but that, that would be one hell of a feat. Unlike anything he's already accomplished, and he's already done some pretty yeah. unbelievable Very, very unlikely. But yeah, if it happens... Uh, I don't know. I'll come up with some crazy thing I promise to do if it happens. How about that? But, um, yeah, I, who knows? Who knows? What, what Drinkwitz has done nothing for us to doubt his powers. I know he's lost out on like the Barlow kid, the transfer from TCU went to USC. And I know, um, Toriano pride ended up uh, committing to Clemson and like, we're all thinking, Oh my God, his recruiting is mortal. Well, yeah, again, you don't get everybody that you want. You get just, you don't even get half the ones you want. So I know there's kind of the, the, the grumbly of grumblers that are kind of starting to go, wow, wow what's, what's drink? What's doing? But to me, and I feel like I'm speak, I can speak for BK. He has not done anything to shake our confidence in his recruiting ability. Um, so until he does, apparently Missouri is in play for multiple blue chips, and <laughs> high ranking blue chips. And it's, it's just an awesome place to be, man. By the way, I don't think I really realized this until we started talking about it, so I looked it up. This is the first time Missouri, St. Louis, Illinois, so like the, basically Missouri, but if you extend beyond the river, so including East St. Louis, it's the first time Missouri has had multiple five stars, like literally ever, (laughs) in the history of rivals, because you've got... Uh, Luther Bird and Kevin Coleman, by the way, they're the number one and number two wide receivers in the country, which is pretty wild. Before that, you don't really have another instance of multiple of those guys. The one that you could look at is 2012 with DGB, and then Andre Pipkins was technically listed out of Kansas City. But if I'm not mistaken, didn't he like go to high school in Michigan for the majority of his time, and then he transferred to Kansas City? So, something that like that. Andre right. Pipkins, I think, was yeah. from Michigan. I think he was like, he was something to that or something like that. And then, like, his senior year? No. Hold on. Freshman high school at Rochester Adams. That's in Saginaw. Before attending Park Hill High School in Kansas City for his remaining three years. So, yeah, he grew up completely in Michigan okay. and was in Kansas City for three. <laughs> so, he technically is from Kansas City. So, you can give that to him. So, that's basically the only other time. So, it's happened twice in the last 20 years that Missouri has had multiple five-star recruits. Um, if you extend it beyond the river. Again, I I always include East St. Louis just because it's mm-hmm. it's basically Missouri. So which means, hey, if you're going to have a season where there's multiple five-star recruits, you might as well have Eli Drinkwitz at the helm trying to recruit these kids. Like That, that actually works out pretty well. Not saying it's going to happen. I'm just saying... This is the best you're going to feel about it. So that's pretty nice. Um, BK, am I a negative person? Uh, so, you know, when negative people ask something like that, a lot of the time they would say, I think I'm a realist. <laughs> <laughs> and then the person that is an optimist would be like, yeah, which makes you a pessimist. Um, 
I don't think so. I actually think it is totally fair to call you a realist. However, well, why do you ask that, Nate? I feel like I I crashed the party. I feel like I'm... I think you peed uh, in my Cheerios. Popping everybody's balloon. Uh, you're riding like super high, and then I tell you that you got work in the morning. You know, that sort of thing. Um, I wrote I wrote two pieces. One dropped on Saturday, and one dropped on Monday. Basically, what we're calling resetting the table. And and the reason I we called it that was because optimism around this team is super high. We're very excited about recruiting. We're excited about all the new talent that's coming in. We're winning battles in 21. We're winning battles in 22. We're getting all the transfers that we want. Like, boom, bam, boom, boom. Like, everything's going, you know, everything's coming up Drinkwitz. Everything's coming up Missouri. And that's true. We, we were winning a lot of recruiting battles that we typically don't win. But I just thought it was important for us to assess what that means big picture so that we don't get crazy unrealistic expectations <laughs> that don't get met and then we get sad, right? I'm trying, I'm trying to steer us away from that cliff. Um, so I, I wrote two things, one about recruiting and one about the team. And we've been talking about recruiting for the past half hour, so let's, let's jump into that real quick. Here's the punchline. Eli Drinkwitz has, has woken up the money. <laughs> Whatever money was sitting in, in, our, in our boosters' pockets and not being spent uh, towards the end of the Pinkle years and throughout the Odom years is now being spent. There is money coming in. We're developing the stadium. All this money to redo the turf, um, increase the facilities, make them better, get all the spending budget. He has worked his ass off, um, both he and Jim Sterk, on raising funds for everything that Missouri football wants to do. Drinkwitz and his recruiting staff are busting it. They're bringing in these four-star kids. They're doing everything right and winning so many battles. And our national recruiting has jumped from 51st to 28th, but guys, it's jumped from 13th to 11th in the SEC. And last I checked, we play in the SEC. <laughs> if you want to win games, you got to recruit better than your peers. And obviously, Missouri has not recruited at an elite level since joining the SEC. I know that. I also know they've won two East Division titles. I know that. I know that. I was there for them. They were great. The point is, is that those titles won in 13 and 14 were on the backs of the previous greatest recruiting class ever in 2010. And they were juniors and seniors in 13 and 14. And then those guys graduated and we replaced them with crap. And I'm sorry for the players who are in those recruiting classes. Most of them did not stick it out at Mizzou. So that's why I feel comfortable saying it. But the recruiting levels clearly dropped. We went into Georgia and Florida, and those guys didn't pan out, and they transferred away. And there was no base of talent to build on, and we weren't the, the staff was not bringing in guys reliably to replace the talent that left. What happened? Well, then the Odom years happened, and it took a little bit for Odom to develop those guys, and he had his breakthrough in 2018, which only ended up in eight games. I know that. But he improved the recruiting a little bit. Um but wasn't enough to beat the SEC and we suffered in conference because of it. I'm saying all that to say this. Eli Drinkwitz has done awesome for the 2021 class. That's one class. When you have an elite class, it takes them a couple years to get their feet under and make an impact. You don't expect an entire class to start the year that they get recruited. It's going to be a couple years down the line. So you can see the wins from this recruiting class in the future, but they're probably not starting this year 
So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to put huge expectations or 10 wins on the table just because of recruiting wins. Do you agree? Disagree? What do you think? Totally agree. Um, everything you just said there is completely reasonable, but I will counter it by saying this. Yeah, but Eli Drinkwitz. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And like, I say that half jokingly and half seriously. And the reason why I do so is basically because the only way Mizzou overcomes those odds that you just laid out so eloquently and correctly, by the way, is by Eli Drinkwitz being a vastly superior coach to his peers. And it will require the transfers that he's brought in this offseason to immediately come in, become starters, understand the um, understand the program immediately, completely take in the game plan, and be able to internalize it and put their best product on the field that they've ever had, especially considering Mookie Cooper has never really played at this level. EJ Ndoma Ogar has never really played at this level in any meaningful way. Uh, Blaze Aldridge has never played in a conference like the SEC. And while I do love both Allie Green the Fourth and Caleb Evans, they both did it in at Tulsa, which is a little different than doing it in the SEC. All of them would have to raise their games, even from where they were previously to where they are now. And you'd have to get impact starters out of your freshman class. And Eli Drinkwitz would have to be just awesome and coach his ass off once again for this team to win like nine games. That that's that's what it would require to be able to completely exceed all expectations, because right now you mentioned uh, Nate that in 2013-14 you were basically winning off of the backs of the best recruiting that Missouri had done to that point. Well, the class that you're you're trying to win based off of right now is like 2017-18, and that's guys like Chad Bailey and Jalen Knox. He's gone. Cam Scott, he ain't here. Antar Thompson, he's gone. Trajan Jeffco, that worked out. Lindsey Scott, Hall- Harry Ballard, Cameron Wilkins, Mike Ruth. Like, there's a lot of dudes from this class in 2018 that are either no longer a part of the program or just didn't work out and haven't really been productive at Mizzou. When those are the classes that you are trying to win based off of in their upperclassmen years, it becomes very difficult to do so at an increasingly high Agreed. level. Agreed. You need experienced older talent <laughs> to, to really make an impact or just, you know, stack three elite recruiting classes on top of each other. That also works. Um, we call that the Clemson. We call that the Clemson or the Alabama or the Ohio state. You're absolutely right. Missouri's not doing that right now. I'm not saying they can't. I'm not saying that, you know, four years down the line, we're not seeing a very similar approach where we just stack elite talent on elite talent. That's obviously on the table, but even getting, top 25 recruiting classes year over year over year, you're still sitting at 10th or 11th in the conference, which means you're out recruiting Vanderbilt. You're out recruiting Kentucky. You're probably out recruiting Arkansas and maybe like in Mississippi state. And so you, you would expect to beat those four whenever they come up on the schedule. And guess what? (laughs) Three of those guys are always on the schedule. Um, Missouri's never beaten Mississippi state for whatever that's worth. Uh, but you know, Tennessee and South never want to think about last year's. We're we're just not going to talk about that. Um, Tennessee and South Carolina tend to under underperform in in regards to their recruiting rankings. And that's, that's very funny. And hopefully that continues, but winning games is a zero sum transaction. Someone's got to not win a game for another team to win a game. And the best way to win a game is to have more talent than the other guy. It also helps to develop that talent better and to coach that talent better. But really 
it's better to have better talent. <laughs> like it's why elite recruiters win and elite tacticians typically don't. Gene Chizik has won a national championship. Chip Kelly has not won a national championship. <laughs> like that's the difference between recruiting and developing and then just being a, a flat out damn good coach. So it's, it's better to start at a higher talent base. And that's what that Eli Drinkwitz is trying to do. And if you can win six or seven games in the sec with some of the worst recruiting in the sec, yes, it stands to reason that you could probably win a few more games with, you know, the, the ninth best or the 10th best. I'm just saying it takes a lot of kind of dots to connect some stars to a line to win 10 games. Even if you are an elite recruiter and Missouri is not that right now. So I'm excited about the recruiting. I know this year's are the 2022 recruiting class is currently seventh as we sit here today, which is great, but you need to do that again and again and again and again every year um, to set yourself up to take advantage of a lucky situation where you can win the East. And, and that's probably not going to happen this year. And I just want to make sure that we understand that recruiting wins don't necessarily equate to wins, wins on the field. Yeah, I think that's a fair way to look at it completely. That being said, like Mizzou is not playing in a vacuum, right? They, they play the schedule that is at hand for this upcoming season. So can we go through this real quick, the two of us, to talk about kind of what that means? Like everything that you just said and where their talent currently ranks compared to the other SEC schools. Let's go through with what they have next year and talk about what that could mean for them. So they've got SEMO, North Texas, and Vanderbilt. I think we can both be on the same page that those three are guaranteed. They should at least you be guaranteed to. wins. You right? have to. Okay. South Carolina? Well, they're rebuilding. Like should be when? <laughs> they're rebuilding. Um, they're not going to be very good. That should also be kind of a, you got you got to win this game. Boston College. I know it's on the road, but you should win that oh, one, right? God. It's. I hate playing them. It's it's a power five team on the road. How often has Missouri won power five teams on the road? Not often in the past five years. That's it's very tricky, especially given that Tennessee comes up right after that. Now, granted, you have SEMO right before, so you can rest your guys, but you are going to the East Coast to play a Boston College team that, you know, likes to wean it a lot. And I know we got the corners now, but uh, that'll be, you know, that'll be the fourth game. Hopefully they got their feet under them. It's going to be a toss-up. It's going to be painful. I'll say it's a win. I don't think it's a... I mean, it's a must-win if you want to get to 9 or 10 wins, but that's just a tough game. Tough, tough game. Sure. So you're basically saying, like, it it could be a win, but it's not a guaranteed one. Correct. That's fair. Uh, by the way, out of curiosity, I'm going to look this up. How, how has Mizzou done? So non-con road games... Uh, Power five teams. They beat Purdue in 2018, beat Connecticut in 2017. Uh, Connecticut is not a power five team. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, lost to West Virginia in a brutal game that they should have never played in 2016, week one. Um, and then you've got to go back to 2013, uh, the last time that they played another power five team, and that was Indiana. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Arizona State lost all the Arizona way back State in 2011. In yeah. So in the last decade, basically, you've got one, two, three, four, five games against Power Five opponents, and they're three and two in those games. So. The last, before that, the last Power Five on the road was Ohio, Ole Miss. Ole Miss, yeah. <laughs> Back in 07. What was that, 07? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They just don't play them very often. So that's that's well, the other thing about it is why. it's just such a small it sucks. sample size. Yeah. <laughs> it sucks real bad. 
Uh, but yeah, I, it's it's tough. But it's a toss up in every sense of the word. They they should win. If you want them to get nine or ten wins, they should win. But that's going to be a very uncomfortable game. Speaking of uncomfortable, Central Michigan at home. First game out the gate. Oh my god. They Central have to Michigan win that one. Not bad. Do, you do, have to do win. They, 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 ha- they cannot start the season by letting off the sales. That would be the most Odom thing of all Odom things. <laughs> I'm serious, dude. The worst thing that happened to Mizzou under Odom was every time you thought there was a little momentum with the program, it, it just completely, the air was let out of the balloon immediately. Every single time. And so for Eli Drinkwitz, he has nothing but momentum right now. And if he came out and Mizzou lost to Central Michigan at home in the first week of the season, dude, that would be the worst thing that could possibly happen to this program. Agree. That is a very Mizzou'd thing to happen. <laughs> oh, Pat Forty would never let anybody hear the end of it. Um, yeah, it's Central Michigan is not super great. This is a toss-up game that is like on the edge of toss-up games. Like it's probably a six point eight point six point eight point favorite in Missouri's favor, which is not a lot. Um, Missouri should win if they struggle or if they don't win. Uh, that's, that's not, that's not a good sign for program health. I agree. So if we, if, if Mizzou does nothing more than wins all of the games that we've already talked about, that's six and six, that's yes. six and six. And I think every Mizzou fan would be disappointed by it. And I think that's mm-hmm. unfortunate, but just because of the names that we talked about, South Carolina on the road, okay, maybe that's one thing, but at home, eh, I don't think a lot of Mizzou fans are going to get super excited about that. Central Michigan, not a name program. Winning that one at home in week one is going to be expected. At Boston College, again, not a name program, and I'm with you. Power five schools on the road, that's a tough one. Mizzou fans, knowing how this goes, are not going to be impressed by Mizzou winning at Boston College. They'll basically look at that and say Mizzou beat no good teams. Mm-hmm. So... This is where I think things get really tricky for Eli Drinkwitz in year two at Mizzou. He almost has to pull off an upset for this season to be considered a success at seven and five. Like even if he won at Kentucky or at home against Arkansas, along with those other six we just talked about, I don't think that's good enough. I think this year he has to win against Tennessee, Texas A&M, Georgia, or Florida if they end up at seven and five. I think that, that would be the route to success for Mizzou fans. And yes, that would mean maybe you lost one of those games that you didn't want to, but it would also mean you come away with that Purdue win over, what was it, Ohio State that one year? Mm-hmm. Um, that that makes you feel good. That makes you feel like things are heading in the right direction and you've got the guy, and that builds momentum. I think that's what, it would, be, what would be required. That's why we think this is a good team. Because, yeah, we lost to Georgia and Mississippi State to close out the year. But, hey, remember that LSU upset? That's a good point. (laughs) That's why. He had the upset. He had this signature win in his first season, and that was enough to mask a lot of of warts. A part of that was COVID-related and injury-related, sure, but there were still warts, and we still lost the last two games of the season. So you need to have a signature win. I would – I'm not a betting man – and I hate speaking things into the ether because I'm like always wrong about everything. But Texas A&M plays a style that keeps its opponents in the game for way longer than they should. Hmm. While they have elite talent and just that nasty defense. Because of their style, I think it's going to give Missouri a couple cracks at beating them. The other one you look at is Florida. 
And I think a lot of people just go Florida boys in the snow in November. Her, her, uh, true. Very true. Florida is not recruiting at the level that they usually do, but Dan Mullen always puts a, a dynamite offense on the field and Todd Grantham's defense every once in a while is like really freaking good when all of the havoc hits home and you never know when that's going to be. But if it happens in your game, you're going to lose. So you're not beating Georgia. <laughs> that's just not going to happen. Mm. I would say I would rank them as far as most likely upsets. And I'm already hating that I'm saying this out loud, but Texas A&M is your most likely at like 20%. <laughs> then Florida, then Georgia. And I don't know if it happens this year, but that'd be really great for Drinkwitz to get one and put a, Put another scalp on the wall. Here's a question for you. Mm-hmm. In a hypothetical scenario, which do you think Mizzou fans would rather have this year? If they had the benefit of hindsight, right? Like going into the season, maybe they would pick one. But looking back on it, what do you think they would probably rather have? Going 8-4 and four with wins against SEMO, North Texas, Vandy, South Carolina, all the gimmies, quote-unquote. And then wins in the toss-up games against Central Michigan, Kentucky, Boston College, and let's go Arkansas. So basically, you win all of the 50-50 games other than Tennessee, and you win all your gimmies, and you go 8-4. and four. Or you go 6-6, six and six, <laughs> but you beat Texas A&M and Florida. Oh, my God. You lose all of those 50-50 games, and you beat all the gimmies. I know Missouri fans. I've grown up around my entire life. That six and six with beating A&M in Florida, they're just going to go, why don't you beat Tennessee? And Central Michigan. And Central Michigan. How, how come you can't beat them? It's why Warren Powers got chased out of town. He could, he could pull off these big upsets and then lose to Kansas every year. Like, I know Missouri fans. I don't... <laughs> I, I, they're not going to take six and six with upset victories. It might mask a little. It might, it might make things feel a little bit better. Um, but not in year two. Yeah. Not in year two with the recruiting that we've done. They, that would not, they will take the eight and four. Okay. Get in my, let me, let us know if you disagree. <laughs> I, I feel like, I feel like they're going to, they would take eight and four overall. Big time, big time, big time. What do I you think, think? I think you're probably right. Um, I'm trying to think for myself what I would rather have. I think I would, I would take the eight and four, just FYI. Yeah, I think I would too, just because if they lose to Central Michigan and Boston College and Kentucky, I think it's going to be a, a rough year for us to talk about this. Like that, that'd be that'd be really frustrating. Um, yeah. because again, the sequencing of games. If you didn't play Central Michigan in week one, maybe that changes some things. But losing the first two games of the season against Central Michigan and Kentucky and then starting out one and three with that fourth game going up against Boston College on the road, yeah, that's going to be rough. Um, but, man, getting wins against Texas A&M and Florida would be pretty awesome. <laughs> I mean, they <laughs> come towards the end of the year, so maybe it's enough to kind of dangle – Dangle the carrot in front of everybody. But yeah, but that's a very Barry Odom thing. It is. I was gonna say. I was gonna say. 2017. 2017. Barry Odom was the toast of the town as he won six games in a row. But we were chasing him out with pitchforks halfway through the season, man. <laughs> yeah. And then he gacked it against Texas. Like, eh, no. I've I've seen this play out. <laughs> if if you start zero and two, if you start one and three. And it doesn't even matter 
that two of those games are on the road at power five competition. It doesn't matter. One and three after the off season, he just had no, they would, they would be the Drinkwitz magic would be gone. Anything that he, any of the goodwill he inherited and banked from 2020 would evaporate. It's the central Michigan game. Cause if you started two and two with wins against central Michigan and SEMO and losses against, um, ugh, I don't know, man, that Boston college game just stands out like a sore thumb. It's so hard. Cause I'm with you, Nate. Boston College is not a bad program. They've got a really good coaching staff, and that is a team that is a pain in the ass to play against. But Mizzou fans ain't gonna look at it that way. <laughs> so I'm trying if, to educate them, man. I'm trying. <laughs> I know, but if if they lose that game, it's just tough. It's tough. But Eli it Drinkwitz is. has has raised the bar in a way that is really meaningful for Mizzou fans. They have expectations for the first time. What since 2015? Really? Maybe yeah. no. There, there was an ex- yeah. I was about to say there was an exciting year there in between, but this this feels like the expectations are kind of back up to that point. And if they get kicked in the groin again early on, then it's just I we know this fan base and it it it's gonna hurt. It's gonna hurt. You're never the same team week to week. You're never the same team home on the road. And Boston College is literally the closest thing that Missouri is going to be to playing itself. They're a little bit better on offense, and they're a little bit worse on defense. Like, they're just extreme versions of Mizzou. And they throw it a lot. And so we're going to get our corners tested very early. Evans and Green are going to, well, (laughs) I was going to say earn their paycheck. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Earn their scholarship. Earn their lunch money. Um, They're going to earn it. But... It's it's going to be tough. It's going to be real tough, and I would see no shame in losing to that. But you're right, this fan base would not. <laughs> that would that would be very very poor choice to lose that game. I'm with you. I totally agree, man. Uh, it, it's it's a fascinating season. We we got a lot of time to start previewing all of these things, and we'll go more in depth. And I know you have people should check it out. By the way, RockMNation.com. Go to the flagship site and. Check out Nate Edwards' uh, season previews. He's got all of these going down the schedule, and they're amazing. So check those out there, and you can learn more and more about the teams that Mizzou's going up against this year. I know, just a little bit about our team, too. Like like we said, they just they weren't super great last year. You know, Connor Bazelak was very high completion, but only about six yards per attempt. That's not great. That's one of the worst in the country. Uh, offensive line was not good at opening holes when it was when Larry Bourne was on the field and Larry. Hey, Bourne Nate, remember when you asked field. if you were negative? <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But like, where's the pass rush? What are the linebackers going to do? Where are our safeties? Yeah, linebacker, have a deep ball? linebacker is my biggest question about this team yeah. right now. Linebacker and offensive line for me. I know we got a lot of experience on on the O line. How good is it? I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. Um, I think they've got a good offensive line coach, and that makes me feel pretty good about the O-line. I agree. I agree. It's just, you know, I, I think I think you can see improvement. Um, I was reading the – so, like, you get – you talked about how St. Louis is just a big old sewing circle. So is the coaching fraternity. I was reading this thing where, where SEC coaches were saying that Drinkwitz was running um, Derek Dooley's stuff last year. But with Drinkwitz's book, it's like all the formations and all the the motion that we saw. All of it, though, was just concepts that Derek Dooley ran in 2019-2020. Or sorry, Mm -hmm. 2018-2019. So part of me is like, okay, well, if Drinkwitz is actually running his book this year, 
that could be good, right? <laughs> like a little bit more expanded. Obviously, there's more practice time. There's more of what he wants to do versus what what's good for the team. And obviously, you need to find a balance between that. But I'm like, oh, maybe maybe things get opened up. But it's just like, all right, so who's the deep ball threat? You know, you're assuming it's Mookie Cooper or maybe a Kiki Chisholm. Um, you know, what what can 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 Tyler Beatty and Elijah Young can they replicate what Larry Roundtree did? You know, can the offensive line get open up a few more holes? Can they can Trajan Jeffcoat do another uh, all SEC performance? <laughs> can he lead the lead the conference in sacks? Um, you know, is Devin Nicholson going to be a little bit more disruptive? What what are our new safeties going to do? Is Jelani Williams going to kind of make a leap? I don't know. And and I think some of those some of the questions answers to those questions is yes, but I certainly don't think it's all of them. So I think you're going to see a young team, which this is still a young team. I think you're going to see them kind of like the 06 team, the 2006 Missouri team, or maybe the 2011 uh, football team where it was, it was kind of a reset year, but like they were really good and hanging around, but not quite good enough to win. But you could see a lot of promise. And I think really this team is going to be gearing towards 2022, 2023 as more of a breakout 10 win season, as opposed to like 2021. 2011 is a really good comp for where this team's at right now, I think, Um, because you're you're kind of in a bit of a transition here. And there's some of the old guard that still remains. There's some talent here from transfers that will continue to help them out for sure. But a lot of the guys that you're excited about are players that you're excited about, not really for 2021, but more for 2022 and 2023. And I think that was kind of the case for a lot of guys in 2011 as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, James Franklin, for example. Yeah. James Franklin, Marcus Lucas, Bud Sasser, uh, uh, Jimmy Hunt. Remember when Jimmy Hunt only caught touchdown passes? LDW? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, he was in there too. Um, mm-hmm. Henry Josie, that was his big breakout year. Marcus Murphy. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that was like that was resetting the stage. You're absolutely right. And then they all got hurt in 2012. They came back in 13 and 14 and, and crushed it. So I am going to choose 2011. <laughs> I think that's a good that's a good one, especially with the de- the the young defensive talent that we have that grew up into the into the monsters that we saw in 13 and 14. Um, they're just they're wee little. Babies. I remember seeing Coney Ely in 2011 and being like, "Man, I think that guy's gonna be really good." Yeah, <laughs> it's like who's number 97? Who is this guy? He was huge. Yeah, he just looked like he totally didn't belong. I was like, "Wait, that guy's a defensive end. What is he doing out there?" I remember watching him against KU, and I was like, "That guy should be starting." What are the What are we doing? <laughs> yeah, man. Well, I think is that Jacquee Smith last year? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that guy underrated, man. Really good player. Really good. And he's, is he still in the NFL? I don't think he is at this He has like point. a surprisingly long career there though, right? It was like five or yeah. six years where he was like on a roster like, oh, serious? With the Bucks? Think Tampa Bay. Uh-huh. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, no longer in the NFL. Nah. Last year was 2018. Yeah, I'm sure he made some pretty good paychecks. So that's not bad. That's pretty good. Made it for four years? Yeah. Well, let's let's close it out. Um, we ended last show talking about the playoff, and I think I certainly believe that they're going to screw it up. And not long after we got done recording, they released what the new playoff was going to be, and uh, we are at twelve games, uh, twelve team playoff, and it's not, it's not 
conference championship auto bid. It's the six highest ranked conference champions, which I'm kind of on board with. I, it opens the door for a G5 team to win, you know, the Mountain West or the American and then be ranked in the in the in the playoff committee's rankings and then make it into the playoff. But to me, because I'm a cynic and I am a negative Nancy, there I said it. Um <laughs> I think this just means that no G five team will ever be ranked higher than twelfth <laughs> because the playoff committee poll is still done by humans who still hate the G five. Um but in theory the opportunity is there. So they take the six highest ranked conference champions and the next six highest ranked teams and the top four get a bye. Five through 12 get uh, to play on campus. The highest, uh, higher ranked seeds get to host on campus. And then you go into the bowl system after that. BK, did, did you think that this is actually a pretty decent deal? Do you think they got it right? Or is there anything that you really don't like about it? So, you know, I, I think it, I liked the eight. Uh, that was, that was my um, preferred method of how you go to this. But if you're a Mizzou fan, and we talked about this, the larger that they expand the field, the better it is for fans of places like Mizzou. Um, if you bring in more teams, Mizzou's going to have a better chance to be able to play further into the playoffs. So I like it, especially as somebody that covers Mizzou because it keeps them involved in the race and their good years a lot longer. Uh, and even if you look back like 2007, they would have got in. 2013, they would have got in. 2014 I think am, am I not am I correct in saying that they would have like been would right have been on close. the cusp at least yeah yeah so you would have had some I think 2010 they would have been right there as well um you, you had some opportunities to potentially really have something meaningful happen for you as a Mizzou fan and that's what this is for really we know who's probably going to continue winning these things it's probably the same teams that were winning it whenever it was four however now, for teams like Mizzou or South Carolina in their big-time years or Oklahoma State or USC in their good years, maybe you look further down in the uh, the, the Pac-12, like Colorado had that really good year mm -hmm. a couple of years mm -hmm. ago. Those are the types of teams that feel left out of what we're doing right now. Their season starts, and they're never actually playing for a national championship. They say they are, but they're not. <laughs> they're playing for what's the best bowl that we can get coming out from the start of the year. And now that changes. Now you actually have a real shot to be able to play into the playoff. Do you have a shot to win? Probably not. But you've got a chance to play for it. And that that should be really fun for Mizzou fans. I was going to go through and do kind of a, another math research sort of thing. That's kind of my, my jam. Um, but David Hale on Twitter actually did the math for me. So I just I want to I want to share this because one of the bigger arguments I was hearing against just expanding the playoff in general, but it's certainly expanding it to 12 people saying that this, this means that the regular season has no meaning anymore. We have lost the most special regular season in sports. And I happen to notice that most of these guys follow Georgia or followed Ohio state or followed Texas or followed USC, all these teams who, if you get your crap together in one year, you're in the playoff. Like there's no doubt about it. Whereas all the other of us who are, you know, have our lean years and maybe have a good year or two put into us. We need to also get super lucky just to get a seat at the table. And so I was thinking, well, okay, so, so with the expansion of 12 teams, how much does that expand teams that we'll call, we'll say in the hunt, quote unquote, in the hunt. 
Because whether you like it or not, whether you like the playoff or not, ESPN owns the rights to the playoff. They're going to push that as the conversation. So teams who are in the hunt for the playoff are always going to be talked about on ESPN. And those who are not will not be paid attention to. So let's talk about how many teams are actually in the hunt now. Because if you only have, like if you assume a power five with multiple losses by the end of October was pretty much out in a four game playoff. That means from 2014 to 2019, that would be 86 teams through eight games or 14.3 teams per year who would just be, they'd not have a chance, right? And if you include two loss or power five, uh, sorry, two loss power five or one loss G5 teams, all of a sudden by the end of October, that's 178 teams, right? Who are just, they're out. There's no chance. And that's October. We still have a whole month to go. So essentially with a 14 playoff by week 10, we've eliminated 115 or so teams from playoff conversation. And you got about 11% of the teams playing any quote unquote meaningful games because they're trying to get into the playoff. Now with the new format, the new playoff, you're basically going to double that, which is what you would want for, a meaningful regular season. <laughs> in fact, the number is actually like probably higher than that. Cause you know, you just got 60 power five teams that finished the regular season with two or fewer losses from 2014 to 2019. So really, yeah, that's like, that's like 60 teams added to it. Like all of a sudden you're going to care who wins the Mac. All of a sudden you're going to care who wins the pack 12. All of a sudden, you're going to care about these conference championship games. And so, therefore, you're going to care a lot more about the conference race in general. And what that's going to do is that's going to open up interest into other conferences. It's what I talked about when I talked about expanding the playoff earlier this year in that series. It's going to continue interest for players. Now they have multiple paths to get to get into the playoff. They can stay at home or they can go to their favorite school, even if it is in the Pac-12 or the Big 12 or the American, they can go there and know if we put stuff together and win our conference and do really well, we can get into the playoff. Not a problem. So it's inclusive. It makes the regular season mean more for more teams. And it's just going to legitimize a playoff overall. And yes, it's still going to be Alabama and Clemson, but Hey, now they got to really earn it against some really good teams. And I think, I just think that's a great thing. The other thing that this does, and this is kind of on like everything you just said, just to to give a stamp of approval, I'm with you on. Um, and to take it one step further for the player side of things, why, like, because I, I totally get if you're somebody that's a player advocate and you're like, yeah, but now they're just going to be playing like 17 games in a college football season. That seems crazy. Hey, I hear you. That, that does seem kind of wild to me as well. However, if you're looking at it for s- certain guys, uh, this could help with the NIL, the, the name and likeness stuff. Um, you can become a little bit more of a national star if you're at one of those other programs not named Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia, Notre Dame. This could help them potentially if they want to become a YouTube star or they want to do a a commercial for the local sub shop, whatever it is, right? Um, There might be some more potential for stuff like that if you're one of the guys that ended up helping your team make it to the college football playoff. Like, imagine if in 2013, for example, right, you've got Matty Mock <laughs> at Mizzou in the, the height of his uh, stardom, I guess you could call it, after what he did that year, and he's doing local commercials. 
Like that would have just gone to the the nth degree as you continued moving forward there into the college football playoff. So stuff like that, I think, is meaningful as well. Also, keep in mind, like just as an example, the Texas high school fo- football playoffs. The the winner of those brackets, they play sixteen games, right? And then the NFL, you play well seventeen now, I guess. You know, possibly nineteen, twenty. Well, yeah, I mean, if you're if you're playing for the Super Bowl and you were a wild card team and you played the 17 regular season games, you've got the wild card, divisional round, conference championship, and Super Bowl. You can play up to 21. Okay, games. so 21 in the pros. Now that's the pros, but high school kids can play 16, and college kids can't. Like, why not? <laughs> it's good, it's good for high school. It's probably good for college too. I I don't think they magically can't recover well, more. I, I think what. What people would probably tell you, Nate, and I'm not necessarily one of these people just to kind of play a devil's sure. advocate, uh, is, yeah, the, the, the high school kid shouldn't do it either. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that would be the argument, you know, and I'm not on that. I, I like this. I'm in favor of this, um, but that that's just the argument that they would give you a post. Yeah, to. that makes sense. Hey, you know what? You know what we can do? We can, exp- we, can, we can cut the season down. You know, if you want to just do 10 games and make sure there are no... I know everybody hates the FCS games. Well, here's your opportunity to get rid of that. I personally like him. I like guaranteed wins. I like more teams playing football and getting paid to have their programs being run. But that's something you could look to eliminate. But you know what? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the fact that Missouri's got an option, baby. Yeah, an option to make it into the playoff. And this is going to hit because I think the the board met this week and they like they rubber stamped it. So now it has to go to the presidents and the ADs and the coaches and stuff like that. And they're going to give their feedback before anything happens. But the soonest that I've seen this thing implement, the soonest that the 12 team expansion happens to me, it could happen anytime. Cause it's all fake, but you know, whatever the soonest on an official channel, BK 2023. What did we just Good get timing. done saying? <laughs> Missouri could possibly be peaking at 2023. Oh my God, are the stars aligning? I don't know, but I'm excited. It's perfect. Um, the timing is perfect. Now we just got to keep Eli Drinkwitz here and give him all of the money and, uh, you know, all, all of that fun stuff. But in the meantime, let's party like it's 2023, <laughs> baby. Let's do it. Yeah. And hey, let, let me, I, again, I don't want to go negative, but I'll just say, Eli Drinkwitz is doing everything he can to raise the prestige of this program, right? Elevate the program. Jim Sterk is doing everything he can to bring money into the athletic department and specifically the football program. If you're sitting on your couch and saying, well, he should be winning 10 games. I can't believe it. And you want to, and you want to do win 10 games and you want to keep Eli Drinkwitz on campus, go to a game, go to a several games. Okay. Pack for O field. If you want to keep Eli Drinkwitz, show that the fan base is SEC too. He's recruiting at SEC levels. Sterk is raising money at SEC levels. We're getting SEC level talent. Now let's show that we're an SEC fan base. And I know I, I'm sitting here and I haven't gone to a game since 2015, so I'm part of the problem too. I'm saying, huh. join me. <laughs> Change your mindset. Be elite. Do everything you can to help this program, and that's going to games. That's that's all I got. It's going to be fun to be at Faro this year. Get out there, go to football games, enjoy it. You got a fun team to root for. You've got some awesome cornerbacks to go out there and watch now. It's probably the best cornerback duo that we've seen, maybe ever, in Mizzou. Um, and so go out there and enjoy it, man. This is gonna it's be been fun. two years, man. <laughs> like, really couldn't go last year. Let's 
Let's make it happen. Get it. Get you, get yourself out to a game. It'll be fun. Wow. This is a long episode. I hope you all liked it. It was for free. We, we did a free extension for you. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, I am all, I'm all talked out. BK, it sounds like you're all talked out. Any parting shots? Eli Drinkwitz is recruiting at a level unlike anything we've ever seen before in the history of Mizzou football. Mm-hmm. And I'm here for mm-hmm. it. And I hope that it continues. And I hope that it sustains. And I hope none of these kids decommit because that would make me very <laughs> sad. <laughs> but uh, continue to enjoy this. Hopefully, whenever we're talking next time around, there are even more commits to be able to add to this list. But in the here and now, man, uh, I'm going to have a piece probably by the time you're listening to this. I would imagine it's going to be up kind of recapping the the transfers, who went, who's in, what it means for Mizzou and where they stand. And the theme of it all is basically what I said earlier. Mizzou added quality, lost quantity. Mm-hmm. And I think that is by design. I think that's something that Eli Drinkwood is trying to do with the transfer market. Agree. So we'll talk about that next time. We didn't even get to the Supreme Court decision. <laughs> we'll get to we'll get to Brett Kavanaugh just dunking all over the NCAA next time. Um, but for now, that is going to be our show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. Leave a comment or rate us because we love all types of feedback from you guys. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Nate Edwards. He is at BK Sports Talk. You can listen to him on the radio, uh, 101 ESPN in St. Louis, 10 to 2. Um, also, you can follow Rockin' Flagship at Rockin' Nation. You can hear all our stuff there and everything that we write and everything that we publish from there. Uh, we appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. Until then, MIZ. See you.